0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Boomers, millennials and Gen Z. Oh, my. Today, we're diving into generational differences in your job search and career. From LinkedIn News, this is Get Hired, a podcast for the ups and downs of our professional lives. I'm Andrew Seaman, LinkedIn's managing editor for jobs and career development. Each week on Get Hired, we talk about leveling up. Sometimes we talk about finding work. Other times we talk about excelling where you are right now. And through it all, we focus on how to stay true to yourself in the process. At some point in your career, if it hasn't happened already, you'll need to work with a colleague or interview with a hiring manager who is either a lot older or a lot younger than you. A lot has been made of the differences between how, for example, Gen Z works as opposed to baby boomers. But when it comes down to it, people are people. Still, it's important to take into account everyone's concerns when you start a new job or go into an interview. My guest today, Lindsay Pollack, is the New York Times bestselling author behind the books Becoming the Boss and The Remix, How to Lead and Succeed in the Multi-Generational Workplace. She's an expert on generational differences and similarities at work. So before we dive into tips and tricks, I wanted to know a bit about Lindsay's career path.
1: I did not mean to have the career that I have. And I always tell people that because I think sometimes you can't draw a straight line from what you study in school or or what you became. So I kind of start my story that I was an RA in college my senior year, and I loved mentoring the younger students. And I probably should have gone into university administration or career (laughs) services or something like that. But I ended up starting my career at a magazine called Working Woman. They had launched a website in the late 90s, and I loved my job. I was so happy. It was like I found the And 18 months later, they went bankrupt, as many dot-coms did. And I was absolutely devastated because I thought, you find your first job and and that's it, right? You're on your way. And so I started kind of freelancing and job hunting and sort of accidentally, while I was looking for a job, started making a little money writing freelance articles and started making a little money hosting a workshop for Junior Achievement. And slowly but surely, I ended up starting my own business. And it was probably five years in until I admitted it. But I was also writing a blog about that whole experience of trying to figure out my career I thought I had, and that blog became my first book, which was called Getting From College to Career, which came out in 2007. And that kind of launched me into the (laughs) author-speaker circuit, Um, and I've since written uh, four books, working on my fifth, about how all the generations can succeed in the workplace.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, and actually... Um, Gen X is often sometimes called the forgotten generation in the workforce because it was sort of the focus was so much on baby boomers. And then all of a sudden, everyone started focusing on millennials. But then you had this really amazing group of people who sort of like straddled both worlds. And honestly, they share a lot of traits with millennials, I think.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. I don't think it's an accident that I'm a Gen Xer and I'm interested in the generational differences because in many ways, Gen Xers had to be kind of bilingual, right? Mm -hmm. We had to speak or act boomer to succeed when we started out and we had to adapt. To the millennials, so I think I bring it up as part of my story. And as I've evolved, you know, mid-career or wherever I am, I think it's really important we don't forget about people in their 40s and 50s because you don't fall off a cliff and say, "Well, I figured it all out now." And then I think part of the work I try to do is to say people at every stage want development, they want uh, career advancement, and that includes Gen Xers.
0: Yeah, so much is focused on what are the differences between these generations when it comes to work, and as you know, there's tons of money about, like, how do we recruit Gen Z? How do we recruit millennials and all that? But when it comes down to what they want from a job, you don't have to change it. And it actually should be able to sort of bridge the divide between the generations, too.
1: I love that message. I just launched my second LinkedIn learning course (laughs) called Managing a Multi Generational Team. And that's a huge part of the theme, which is everybody wants advancement. Everybody wants a manager who listens to them and cares about them and supports them. Everybody wants to feel that their work has purpose. We just approach it in different ways. So I talk about theories like the one-minute manager, which is a kind of classic management practice, which is, you know, if you and I work together and I were managing you, I would try to give you one minute of praise about something specific you did and one minute of corrective feedback. I can do that by text, by Zoom, in person, Mm -hmm. on the phone. There's so many ways to accomplish that. But the theme or the theory is exactly the same for all people. And I think what's hard is we assume that people from other generations are from other planets (laughs) and have like a completely different way of engaging. And when I find people who are really admired leaders, they always say, I don't really get this. I treat everyone the same. And I'm like, well, that's why you're a good manager of different generations, because you don't try to make assumptions that people are so different.
0: And I guess that's a good place for us to really get into the idea of, you know, the new rules of job searching is what are the sort of. Uh, enduring rules of job searching.
1: I'd say that the two that I would start with, and I know you agree with because we've talked about these, is number one, you are more likely to get a job through somebody that you know rather than submitting an application online. Absolutely submit online as well. It's part of a strategy, but if you have a human being who can hand your resume or recommend you to a recruiter, that is still going to be your best bet. And the second, I think, is the importance of having really good materials to say who you are. Your resume has to be great, your cover letters have to be great, your LinkedIn profile has to be great. Great. You have to have an interview suit to wear, whether it's going to be on Zoom or in person. You want to make sure that you're showing up in all the ways. You have to have the equipment. Just like if you're playing a sport, you have to have the equipment. If you're in a job search, you have to have the equipment. So I think those two things are constant. They have evolved, but the concepts are the same.
0: Yeah, definitely. You could probably go back hundreds of years, and it was still networking was probably important then. Um, you know, there was some guy who knew a guy who, you know, <laughs> wanted to work at the lumber mill, and they said, hey, I know a guy. <laughs> and that's how, how it worked.
1: A hundred percent, or you used to live in smaller towns, and everybody knew everybody's family. Anyone who knows you and trusts you and can vouch for you is absolutely absolutely golden in this environment. And a lot of people say, well, I don't know anyone, or I don't know anyone important. It could be somebody who works in a part-time job at a company. It could be somebody who works on the custodial staff. It could be somebody who used to work at the company. It could be somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. It doesn't have to be the CEO, right? And so I think it's about starting with the people you know and building from there.
0: Yeah. And I think you, you mentioned something that is sort of one of the newer things about job searching. It's not completely new, but job applications online. And, you know, like you said, you you still need to apply online because there are things called applicant tracking systems. And at some point in the process, whether it's you, whether it's a recruiter, your information has to be put into them. That is how, how it works. That is the system they use. But what else is sort of modern evolutions in the job search, would you say, that, you know, is really important to maybe pay attention to?
1: I think it all stems from what you're talking about, which is that you have two audiences now. You have the human who is going to be looking at your materials, and then you have computers. I think you have to choose to see that as a positive. When there's bigger volume, you have to make a better case for you being a good fit for that organization. And what that means is you have to do your research about that organization. So it's not about you being a perfect job candidate or the company being a perfect employer. It's about you making the case that you're the right fit for each other. And I think things like following companies on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever social media site you want, doing your research. I had a, an employer to a small business say, if you come to a job interview, you write a cover letter. And I can tell you've never even looked at our website Right. That takes five minutes. So I think the more information there is, the more important it is for a job seeker to consume that information and demonstrate in your cover letter, in your email, in whatever you go through in the process that you've done that work. And a lot of people don't take that necessary step. I think it's an old school concept that you have to reimagine in the social media Internet world.
0: Yeah. And actually, that gets to the next thing I want to talk about, which is finding out whether you actually even want to work there. Um, which I think is something kind of newish because like you mentioned the idea of like, listen, I got a job and I'm going to stay here because that's what I was taught. And I, That's sort of what I took away from my parents, who they're baby boomers. And basically, I was grown up with the idea that you get a job, you stay there until you die, or they lay (laughs) you off. Those are your two exit strategies. But that's not really the case anymore. And it's also not the case that you have to be grumpy in your job or you have to go and not like it.
1: So I think that is a generational change. So if you start with maybe the traditionalist World War II generation who had gone through the Great Depression Mm -hmm. and war it was absolutely work to live, right? I have to put food on the table, I am going to do my job, whatever it is, so that we can have food and that we can have money and I'm gonna retire and the company will give me a pension because this is the contract. Over the baby boomer era, it becomes more, I identify with my job, right? I want a corner office. I want the brand name of that company. And companies are now starting to lay people off. So survival becomes an issue, right? And you saw people, I remember parents, friends, where they'd get laid off from a company where they expected to work like your father. And that didn't happen. And they were absolutely devastated. And Mm -hmm. I think Gen Xers and millennials saw that happening and said, I never— want my entire identity to be with a company. I never want to be put in a position where I could be laid off and lose my identity, I'm going to jump around more. I'm going to be more of a free agent. And you see the rise of Silicon Valley, right? And companies yeah. where, you know, they have a lot more movement and it's not criticized to jump around. And I think that gets even more extreme with millennials who say, I want to feel a sense of purpose with my work. I want to work for companies that I believe in. And now with Gen Z, having gone through a pandemic <laughs> and the global financial crisis and everything that we've seen, I think a lot of young people— not not only want to, you know, work, but live their lives and work is only a small piece of it and to never be totally identified with their work. But I think they also feel like if I stayed a company too long, That's actually a problem because I need to be on the market. I need to be moving around and be flexible or else I'm not going to be successful. So I think we're almost at the opposite extreme. I think we'll probably go back a little bit more to the middle of the pendulum. But I think you really see that trajectory from I have to put food on the table to I want to live my life and work is going to support that.
0: Yeah. And I remember when I so my career trajectory was basically undergrad, grad school. Then I went to Reuters. And while I was in grad school and undergrad, I did contract work for USA Today. But Reuters, I was there for seven some years, but it was one of those things where I had to sort of ask myself, like, should I be jumping jobs? And I think the older workers uh, that I encountered was always like, no, you should not do that. That looks very bad for you. But I don't think it does, does it?
1: I don't think it does anymore. And I think if it had, the last shreds of that belief were killed during COVID. I think people understand that movement is important. That said... If you're happy and you feel like you should move, that's problematic, too, because you shouldn't move if you don't want to. And we're seeing this rise of what they call boomeranging, yeah. which is people leave and come back and say, can I please have my job back? I thought the grass was greener, and it's not. I think that's important, too. And, and I would say to employers, if they're listening— The way to keep people is to let them know they're valued. I love the Mm -hmm. concept of stay conversations. You know, Andrew, we value you here. We know you've been here a while. We want to make sure that you're still engaged and we want to give you new opportunities. Internal mobility, I think, is really important to say, I know you want variety. You can do that within this company. I know it feels like you have to jump around to make more money. We'll figure out a path for you to do that here. So to job seekers or people who are feeling a little restless, make sure there's not an opportunity in your current organization, especially if it's a really big company, to find the change or the excitement that you want without necessarily having to go to another job.
0: We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, bridging the generational communication divide. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. We're back with best-selling author and multi-generational workplace expert, Lindsay Pollock. When it comes to the idea of job searching and sort of that intergenerational communication, I think a lot of times people, sometimes they feel the tension when... Maybe they're talking to someone who's either older or younger than them, and they sort of think, okay, what do I have to say to get across to their point of view? How do you bridge the communication divide, especially in interviews? Because I know that that's something that comes up a lot when I do talks. Or um, sessions, you'll hear from people who say, you know, I'm in my 50s and sometimes I'll go into an interview and the interviewer is in their 20s. So what do you suggest for people who are job searching when they encounter those situations?
1: From the different generational perspective, I'm sort of a radical transparency kind of person, which is, again, I think it's better for the interviewer to do it, Mm -hmm. which is if they sense a discomfort is to kind of call it out and say, I think I wouldn't say age. I would say I think we might be from different generations. Or um, I noticed from your resume that you've been in the workforce, you know, for a long time. I think sometimes just calling it out in a polite, normalized way can be helpful. What I think is important for the job seeker, for the candidate, is not to walk in and immediately say, oh, wow, you you remind me of my grandma <laughs> or you're young enough to be my son. So don't make it an issue if it doesn't have to be an issue. And I think if you've done your research on the industry, on the company, you should have enough in common that the fact that they use TikTok and you're on Facebook shouldn't be the number one driver of the conversation.
0: Yeah. And I think there's so many people who they do let that trip them up. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where you really do have to work sometimes to get that out of your head. But you can sometimes trip yourself up when it's not an issue to the other person.
1: I teach this stuff. I've written a book about it, and I do it, where I walk <laughs> in and go, oh, my gosh, you're so young, right? <laughs> so it doesn't help. And and sometimes it comes out and, like, there's nothing you can do. But I think we have to remember that it doesn't have to lead the conversation. As if, you know, I walked in and said, you're male and I'm female. I don't think I would do that, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think it's going in and being prepared that somebody might have differences from you and one of those might be age.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes back to the idea of diversity, too, is that I've really hope companies and interviewers embrace the idea of having not just multi-ethnic and multiracial, but also multi-generational workforces. You know, before we leave, you know, when people are in the job search and they sort of think, "Okay, I'm struggling here. Like, I feel like the world has moved on without me. And I think this applies to anyone really in any age group, because there are people who are just out of college and they sort of feel like a fish out of water because they're used to the academic structured environment. There are people who've been in work a little while, and they sort of let their skills atrophy. And then there are people who are older who say, like, I don't know all this new stuff. So what is your advice to people who just find themselves in the middle of a job search? Either they're fired, laid off, or then there's people who they just don't like their job and they want to find something new.
1: First of all, I have so much empathy for that. I've been in that situation. And and even now, we've been through a really, really, really tough time. There are going to be days when you know the right things to do and you just don't want to do them. And I think the best advice I can give to anyone in that situation or they feel too old or too young, go and do something for somebody else. And I find volunteering or working for a political campaign or anything where you are helping, if the people around you are helping too, it doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter their sexual orientation because you're gonna be focused on a goal. And people always ask me, what are the organizations that you think do multi-generational the best? And I think of nonprofits and political campaigns where when you are so focused on a goal and doing something for other people, that's what you do. So I think instead of only hanging out with people your own age, you should sort of try to put yourself in situations where you're around people of other ages, but you have something in common. And often a cause you believe in is a really powerful way to do that.
0: I think that's such a good idea.
1: Yeah. And you know, I was thinking of a funny story. A friend of mine who was a journalist told me uh, she's playing a poker game and everybody was you know in their 40s or, or 50s in the poker game. And she said, one day at the game, everyone said, oh, you know, my son is looking for an internship. My niece needs something. Does Can anybody hire her? And you know, it was all about helping the younger generation. Mm-hmm. She said, now, 20 years later, they're all like, hey, could your niece get me a job? <laughs> you know, Is your son hiring? Because they have the power now. So this yeah. stuff really changes and ebbs and flows. And I think if we don't see ourselves as only being able to work in a certain way because of how old we are, I think you're really holding back. You know, Older people work in tech companies all the time. Young people work in, quote, traditional or old-fashioned industries all the time. If we get rid of all of those stereotypes of what age somebody has to be to work in a job or a field, I think you'll see a lot more opportunities open up.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Lizzie.
1: My pleasure. From a Gen Xer to- A millennial. Millennial. I think yeah. we had a good multi-generational conversation. We
0: definitely did. That was bestselling author, Lindsay Pollack. Remember, it's up to you to put our advice into practice. Still, you always have a community backing you up and cheering you on. Connect with me and the Get Hired community on LinkedIn to continue the conversation. You can also join my weekly Get Hired live show every Friday on the LinkedIn news page. And if you liked this episode, leave us a rating on Apple Podcast. It helps people like you find the show. And of course, we'll continue this conversation next week, right here, wherever you like to listen. Get Hired is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I am Andrew Seaman. Until next time, stay well and best of luck.